I'm Tess Vigland, and as we work, we're learning to value the wisdom that comes with age. Some of the older people, you know, they, they were a little more experienced than I was. So I kind of learned a lot from them. You know, they introduced me to the world. Looking up to the to my mentors, they had a lot to teach and tell me. Thus, I had a lot to learn from them. And I felt that when I was a supervisor especially, it was the same thing in reverse. Older workers are not necessarily as valued as they were when I was a younger worker. And unfortunately, I saw that not just where I work, but I've heard it from many people in the industry. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. That was James Robinson, Carol DeSantis, and Tom Levy. We spoke with them on the streets of New York City. Coming up, one of the lesser talked about isms in American work culture, ageism. If you are of a certain age and have had a boss or a coworker treat you differently because of it, that's ageism. It was one of the subjects we talked about at a WSJ live event last week, our day-long virtual jobs summit. Ageism in the workplace isn't new. Unfortunately, it's old. See what I did there? We're gonna bring you our conversation today about how to deal with ageism in the workplace and how to take the skills you've gained through a long career and transfer them to something new. Nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So I was going to start out the show by telling you how old I am. I personally have no problem with my age. I am proud of the lines around my eyes and the gray that's popped up on my head. I've earned those. And I've earned the longevity of my career. So have most people in my age. But unfortunately, somebody out there could be listening, possibly a potential employer from a few years down the road, and they could make assumptions about me because of that age. Maybe they'll think I wouldn't be quite as on the ball as a younger worker. Or maybe they'd assume I wouldn't be up to speed on technology or wouldn't be willing to learn new things because, you know, I'm set in my ways. Clearly, that's not a me thing. It's a thing with them. And those kinds of biases are affecting a growing share of the workforce. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says it expects the number of workers 65 and older to grow by 60% by the end of the decade. So we want to talk about ways to deal with ageism and how older workers can transfer their skills into new careers. We actually had two sessions at our WSJ Job Summit on this topic and got a lot of great questions from the audience. We'll hear some of those later in the show. But first, here's part of our conversation with Ginny Chang. She's the global head of talent for Aura, a wearable tech company, and she's also a career coach. She works with a lot of people who've experienced bias and prejudice because of how old they are, and she's made some pretty big career pivots herself. We've edited this conversation for time and clarity. Thanks for being with us, Jenny. Thank you for having me. So, Jenny, let's start by defining ageism. What does it look and sound like? Yeah, I mean, in general, quickest way to say is it's the stereotype and discrimination against certain age groups. In this case, we're talking about the older 
uh, or more seasoned professionals, but it can occur in really any age group. It can be casual, it can be social, and it can be systemic depending on the, the company culture and how they you know, interview, et cetera. So what, what does it kind of look like when someone is looking for a job? Do you have a couple of examples that, that we could latch on to for how to recognize it? The phrase in itself, this person's overqualified, doesn't have really negative connotations, right? But when you're an older worker and the, the, the assumption is maybe they're looking for someone that's a little bit more flexible. So what they're assuming perhaps is that this person wouldn't be happy in this particular role or that it might be too junior for them or that we can't afford them. So that's how it might play out in a realistic scenario. So those are really assumptions that people are making. They are making assumptions and we all have them. In fact, if I just told everyone to close their eyes and imagine, just imagine a different multi-generational group and think of an assumption you have for Gen Z or an assumption for baby boomers, whatever it may be right there, we've just clearly shown we are human and we have biases and it takes an intentional effort to really go beyond that and looking beyond those surface level. I wonder too, actually about the use of the term older workers, which both of us have used already. Is that wrong? Yes. And there's nothing wrong with it. But again, if it conjures up connotations. It's always not what you say, it's how you say things at times. So I prefer using the phrase seasoned workers. And if you think about it, if you've been working since you were 15 and you're now 35, you're a seasoned worker too, in some way. Yeah. It's really. So um, yeah, I, I see it as more like seasoned professional that have perhaps done career pivots or a different uh, career path, or maybe they've been consultants. So it's really people who maybe moved a couple times in their career progression. I wonder, does ageism also come from narratives that, you know, seasoned workers tell themselves? We all own part of that narrative ourselves. It's the things we tell ourselves or it's the things we take ourselves out of the equation. So for example, with women, if they look at a job description, if they don't match 100%, they're like, I don't think I'm qualified. So I think in some way, as you get more uh, seasoned, you might say to yourself, well, maybe they are correct. Am I truly going to be a flexible worker? Am I going to be okay with a, let's say my manager that's much more junior than me or younger than me? I mean, these are questions you should ask yourself before you decide. I know you work with a lot of clients on that issue. Uh, I I wonder if you have any examples kind of, of, of how workers do this internalizing of this belief that that they're not good enough? I would say 70% of my clients are women, Mm. 30% are men. So that's that's a little bit of clarification. I think it's important. Um, When women come to me, they are seeking for ways to maybe reduce the total length of their career and finding a way to fit the narrative of whatever this new role that they're trying to get into. So finding ways for their resume to seem more, you know, condensed. Hmm. Um, When men generally come to me, when they ask me a question, it's, well, I have this many experience. I should get this particular job. Just show me how to get there. So they already, they're already saying they deserve that job, which they probably do just like the women 
but it, their approach is slightly different in that way. That's so interesting that women are intentionally squeezing their their own work histories um, in order for themselves not to internalize this problem. Yeah. Now, but they're also better at telling stories, however. Mm. I find that they're able to uh, maybe, especially if we edit like their um, like their cover letter or their the story they say when people ask them, tell me about yourself, they are able to give a more like really colorful experience as to the why they made certain life decisions they did or career decisions. So if as an experienced seasoned worker, uh, you've absorbed Mm -hmm. this idea that that you're not good enough, make way for the younger generation, right? Um, How do you start to shake that? What are some steps that you would advise? My focus is to talk about how I've continued to learn. And that's where you want to focus on is like in your last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, what have you pivoted into? What have you taken on? Have you mentored? Have you decided to be a people manager? Or have you decided to go back and be an individual contributor? All those decisions, you want to be able to have a bit of a conviction of why you did certain things, whatever it might be. It's the story. So it it sounds like, frankly, one of the best things that you can do for yourself is to read your own resume and be impressed by it. Yes. And remind yourself how long it took you to get those kind of impact. You didn't go in and knew about everything. When I left from Microsoft to Facebook, Facebook was actually under a thousand people. (laughs) So in some way it was a startup. It was pre-IPO. And really at that time, it wasn't really directly catered to, to Generation X. There were a lot of more younger generation that were right. very savvy with right. social media. So for me, I really was truly learning a new vertical. So there's always a subtle, like, do have you done this before? Or if you have done this, um, did you do well? So essentially, those are the two questions you're trying to answer as you go through these interviews. There has been just a a sea change of differences in the workplace over the last two years um, of all kinds. And do you believe at all that there has been less ageism during the pandemic? I'm wondering, because there's more remote work, has that made any difference, do you think? Based on what I'm hearing from my clients and what I'm seeing in the news, what it leads me to believe that being remote actually gave us more flexibility across all generations for people that may be worried about flexibility, having to take care of family or, you know, all the other extracurricular things that's called life. So it's life work balance. Mm -hmm. The remote work actually gave them that opportunity to reprioritize. I'll also say if you're more seasoned, you might even have more experience dealing with ambiguity, Mm. dealing with different you know, like those are skills that maybe not everyone has that experience. The soft skills. And yeah, the soft yeah. skills. Yeah. You've told us a little bit about your own journey and some of the career transitions that you've made. Um, I wonder if there were some specific things that you learned in that process, um, in those processes, since you did it multiple times, that others might use regardless of their industry. Right. I think as a seasoned worker or actually any worker, as you're thinking about career pivots, you do want to ask yourself why. Is it because you're 
bored of your current one? Is it the company or is it the job? Mm. Maybe switching the company, but keeping the same job will re, you know, reinvigorate you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Career pivot is about almost like you're a student rediscovering what you would be good at, what you would be interested in doing for a few years. You know, you don't have to worry about making a commitment. Like if I make this switch, oh, I'm never going to be able to switch back. The truth is I had opportunity to switch back if I wanted to. But what I decided is like the new path that I chose actually got me more interest Hmm. in uh, learning more. So I continued down down this path. Basically, your personal brand and your skill set is portable, no matter what company you came from. I think that a lot of people are going to be very encouraged to hear that. Um, You know, Jenny, we're, we're talking a lot about how more experienced seasoned workers can and should adjust to the reality of ageism in the workplace. Why isn't this more about teaching employers that they should value the added experience and knowledge? Shouldn't shouldn't we be fixing ageism with those who practice it versus those who fall victim to it? Sure. But I think we're all part of that ecosystem. Some of you have been a former hiring manager, or perhaps you were an interviewer in the thing. You were part of this ecosystem. So you were part of the discussion or debrief, as we call call it, after a candidate goes through. The comments you make, what you hear, do you call people out on it? Do you... Do you think about the job description as like more than that job description? So I agree with you. The accountability should be also with the companies that create the processes. But that would be true for every ism, right? Every ism, not just ageism. And I would say it's an ongoing journey. But I try to think about what I can control, how I can make myself more marketable as people would use the phrase for, but essentially I'm trying to alleviate what's the elephant in the room, the questions that they might ask. Why did you have a career gap? Why did you choose to go into a smaller company? Why did you do X, Y, Z? So if you're able to answer that with conviction and also say what the learning was as a result of it, then it only pushes you forward. The momentum's only gonna be like milestones and next steps. Stay with us for more of our conversation with Ginny. Up next, we'll answer questions about ageism in the workforce from attendees at our live jobs summit. And we wanna ask you, what is the best piece of career or workplace advice you've received over the course of the pandemic? Email us at aswework@wsj.com. That's aswework, all one word, at wsj.com. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. We've invited some questions from the audience, so I'd like to turn to some of those. You ready, Jenny? Yes, I am ready. All right. Uh, Celia Wise has uh, 18 plus years in the oil and gas industry, and she says that her industry simply doesn't have space for employees over 50 with MBA degrees. Uh, She's wondering 
where she might find career opportunities for experienced people like her. All right. I guess some of the questions I might ask myself if I was her would be, okay, is there an adjacent industry that you think would be interesting for you to explore that you can leverage your knowledge to the other? Or is it, are you just trying to maybe move to a different company that may be more open to, I guess I don't, I'm not sure why people might be not be open to an MBA. I would say that is a great skill set that you can leverage and hop to other companies. I think your dog has a question, but I'm going to go ahead with the other questions that we have here. (laughs) (laughs) My Um, dog is tired of hearing from me. (laughs) Doesn't need any career advice. All right. Um, Saul Palomo uh, asks about resumes. Uh, Is it okay not to put the dates in your education experience? Um, It is okay if you're trying to remove certain uh, parts of it. So let's say you've been in the workforce 25 years and you only want to really focus on the 15 to 20 because it's the most relevant and you want to remove the rest. That is fine. I mean, some people might approach it more like a functional resume. So they're highlighting their skills and Mm. then they share all the different companies. So most people do not include the date of their graduation, even after five years Mm. of work experience. You might include them if you got a new MBA or you got new certification or something else. Sure. Something more recent. Yeah. Yeah. Something more recent. Exactly. And another resume question, Megan Williams wants to know how to address career gaps, how to position those. Well, first of all, I start using the phrase career breaks. Break, not a gap. Gap just feels like gap feels like you have a hole and you fell into it. <laughs> um, so again, I mentioned about the elephant in the room. So this is an elephant in the room, meaning when somebody asks you, tell me about yourself, or you want to address something in the cover letter, that's the one you want to address. You could say uh, even something like, I took time to take care of my two, three children for 10 years. But during that time, I still did X, Y, Z. Maybe you volunteer, maybe you were a leader. I mean, I know people who are like amazing PTA leaders, hmm, right? Like sure. that, they've, they've actually transferred those skills into a different capacity. So I would say that's probably a way I would approach it. Uh, Doina Malankutik says she's had a lot of dead end jobs, never had a career that matched her education. Uh, How does she now pursue a career that is more in line with what she studied after 10 years of not doing that? Interesting question. If you've been at a job where you feel like you haven't been passionate about, but those are skills that you would have probably had to use some of it in a job that you do think is your passion, I think that's where you want to line it up. So for example, when I talk to my clients, for me to get to know them, I ask them to do a love load list. It's a speed round. And I basically ask them, tell me all the things you love, love to do, what type of work environment, what type of manager, and then loathe, like areas they don't love. And I start off that list because I want them to realize you could be really good at something, but hate it. That's usually when there's like the aha light bulb. And once you have that list, you want to stack crank that list. So it's good to have at least 10 loves and 10 loathes. And essentially, the top two or three that you stack ring, those should be your non-negotiables. Belgian Urgursu wants to know how to craft a one-page resume, especially when you have 
so many years of experience? I would bet this is a very common question. It's a common question, but I'm going to say it's a um, it's a question you don't have to ask. Most people expect that if you've been working for at least 10 years or you've had several roles, then it's very natural to have two pages. And again, it's really about selecting not what you did, because a lot of people, what they do is their bullet points sounds like a job description. It should not sound like a job description. And if you've done similar things, but in several jobs, that's again, when you can consider more functional resume, where you can say strategic planning, here's what I did in this company. Um, people management, this is what I did, you know. Okay, uh, Elaine Varney is 72 and she writes that she walks with a cane, but still has plenty of skills, experience, education to offer a potential employer. And her question is, how can I overcome that look on the interviewer's face that tells me that there is no way I'm going to hire an old lady with a cane before the interview has even begun? First of all, Elaine, I'm very, very sorry if that has actually happened to you. I would say so. I mean, the companies that we want to work for are not the kind that would portray those values, right? So Good that's point. part one. Good Secondly, point. Secondly, I would say most interviews are still virtual these days. Like I'm still seeing most of it virtual. Yeah. So you don't even know if I'm wearing pants right now. You won't guess. I won't but guess. But my point is <laughs> it actually leaves some room flexibility. I have clients who actually will tell me, like, for example, they are three or four three to five months pregnant and they're, or they're obviously showing, like when can they reveal that they're also, you know, caring. And oftentimes they don't do it in the first meeting. They might do it as it progressed along as a company talking about like, when can you start if we start? And then That's just true. being transparent. You do want to be transparent when they ask, but um, I would say they're in a virtual environment. Um, it can be softened. I'll use the word soften. I, I really like your first point that if you're getting that kind of reaction from an interviewer, you probably don't want to be there anyway. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Richard Wickline has a question for, oh, both Jenny and me. Uh, okay. He knows there are reservations about older workers that come up over and over. Um, and those are kind of known. He wants to know, are there known positives about hiring older workers yes uh, yes experience i'll just tell you <laughs> i just hired a 20-year a veteran there were plenty of other people but what i liked about her experience is that she's had to deal with ambiguity and growth and changes within all the companies she's been with and i'm at a startup it is a startup with wonderful mission has some growth trajectory to focus on health and one, she's passionate about this area, as we all should be. And two, she's telling me, throw anything you want to throw at me. I probably have experienced it. I've dealt with difficult hiring managers. I've dealt with difficult candidates. I will also under, she also brought up, I, she would understand people who are more experienced. So she's also laying out there to say, I have the empathy for all multi-generational type of candidates. So. So I would say that's a plus. Great. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for your great questions. Hope it was helpful. And Jenny Chang, thank you so much for helping us out, answering these questions from our audience. Much appreciated. All right. Thank you, everyone. Coming up, if you ever wonder how things are going at your old job, maybe even find yourself missing at least parts of it, you just might be a boomerang. 
we'll get some advice on getting back together with an old friend, your former employer. I'm turning 49 this year. In full disclosure, since you gave your age, I'm 53. Lovely. There we go. This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. There's more to being a successful entrepreneur than just good business practices. What is it about an entrepreneur's childhood that helped fuel their entrepreneurial spirit? What are entrepreneurs doing to cultivate this spirit in their own children and build a legacy beyond their business? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with leading entrepreneurs on these topics and more. Find the road to why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And finally today, our pro tip, we are joined by Catherine Dill with our life and work team. And we're going to talk about an ancient Australian throwing stick now making an appearance in the American workplace. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for having me. So that aforementioned stick is? A boomerang. The boomerang. Yes, exactly. And, and what we're talking about here is people who are, who are going back to companies they used to work for. Uh, is it fair to say that this is an element of the Great Resignation? Yes, definitely. We're seeing a lot of this right now um, as hiring managers are really hungry to, to hire people and, and bringing on someone that you've worked with before can um, shrink the time that it takes to, to find a new worker and eliminate a lot of the guesswork. And it can be an advantageous situation for workers, too, who are often able to negotiate a raise or expanded responsibilities or a promotion, and they, they have the lay of the land before they start a new job. Hmm. How much of a trend is this? Do you have any numbers? LinkedIn took a look at this and found that tens of thousands more people in 2021 returned to old employers. Boomerangs actually accounted for about 4.5% of all new hires among companies on the site last year. And LinkedIn also found that it was true um, among its own workforce. They brought back a lot of former employees compared with the previous year. <laughs> so they're part of the trend themselves. Yes. <laughs> Why are people saying they want to return to places that they left, presumably for a reason? Well, there's a few reasons. One of them is that lots of companies shed workers sort of against their will, you know, at the onset of the pandemic. And, and some of them have gotten their financial footing again and are back in gear. And there are people who are saying, you know, like, I didn't, I didn't want to leave my job. I was laid off and um, I'm ready to come back. So it can be a great outcome for people on both sides of the equation, truly. Any tips on uh, kind of how to make this happen if you're interested in going back to your former employer? Is it as simple as, hey, you know, I kind of miss you guys. Got any openings? It's yet another great example of why you should never burn bridges when you leave a job, oh, yes. certainly, <laughs> um, because, you know, your, your next new boss someday could be your old boss. But being upfront here is is going to be the best advice. You know, you have nothing to lose really by being really frank about what you're looking for and what you're hoping to achieve and what you need to make you successful is just going to make the process better for both the employee and the company. All right, Catherine Dill, thank you. My pleasure.
Next time, they're not blue collar, they're not white collar, they're new collar. We hear about workers who are getting jobs based on skills, not a degree, and employers that have decided there is value in people outside four years of college. And once again, you know, these last couple of years have been uh, bonkers and hard, and we can all use some wisdom. So we wanted to ask you, what's the best piece of career or workplace advice you've received over the course of the pandemic? Email us at aswework at wsj.com. That's aswework, all one word, at wsj.com. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is that first sip of hot coffee in the morning. And The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. 